GrowCFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using GrowCFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the GrowCFO show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got Paul Marchant with me. Now, Paul is CFO of the Rail Safety and Standards Board. And this podcast is first of a a mini-series that we're going to do, which is going to talk about people's journey to the CFO role, how they got there and what it's been like. And I thought Paul was a great person to talk to because his journey to CFO was actually very accelerated. And Paul's going to tell us about that in a minute. And accelerated, great, you get there, but I'm sure on the way that threw up a few problems. So, Paul, welcome to the Grow CFO Show. Thanks very much, Kevin. Delighted to be here. So, Paul, I've I've tempted the audience already with your background. Where did this journey all start? Well, I suppose like uh, like many of your listeners, I I went through the same fun exam process and uh, and and qualified at quite a a small uh, firm within Birmingham uh, gave me a good grounding. Um, I then decided actually uh, to take a, a slightly different career move into politics. Um, and I did that for, for a number of years. I worked for a political party. I won't, I won't go into who that was, um, but uh, that, gave me, that gave me a certain set of skills. Uh, and then I transferred back over into finance um, in the rail sector uh, about seven years ago now. Um, and it was uh, it was certainly a a, a different switch um, going from politics back out you know into the private sector again, uh, but but one I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I'm a bit of a sucker for punishment. I mean, you know, when you work in politics, people are uh, always asking you difficult questions, and and rail isn't sometimes the most popular industry uh, to move into as well. But it has been it has been an excellent move. I really enjoyed it. I imagine rail is one of those industries that actually ends up with a lot of parliamentary questions coming through, particularly safety aspects. It, it does, actually. Um, I mean, it's obviously been very topical, you know, for the last few years, um, sometimes not the not the easiest topics of conversation. And it's just gone through a, a big review, um, the William Shapps review. Uh, which is going to reform the way that the, the rail industry looks over over the next few years. But yeah, the safety aspect uh, is is absolutely crucial, and it's something that you know is it's certainly an interest uh, to politicians, certainly an interest within the in the, the department itself. And I have to say, probably though, some of those political skills I learned in that previous career um, has certainly helped uh, when it's come to this role. Mm, that, that that's an interesting one. I mean, how much of a politician do you think a CFO needs to be? Uh, massively, um, <laughs> I think. Uh, I, th- I think the job is is very political. You've got a yeah, like a like a politician. You, you've got a quite a lot of different stakeholders, um, yeah. and you have to do a lot of persuasion. Um, you have to evangelise your position, and and that's uh, that's very much what politicians have to do on a a day to day basis. But I think probably the best the best way I could explain the similarity is is probably in the messaging. Um, you have to take some quite complicated concepts and be able to communicate them in a way that people can understand and get on board with. And I think that's probably the biggest similarity between uh, politicians and, and not just CFOs, but but anyone probably on mm. the C-suite. Yeah, and I, I guess the CFO's challenge is that he knows all the numbers. Some of the numbers can be very complicated and he's got to make them pretty simple 
and, and deliver a pretty compelling message around them for the average person. Yes, I, I think that's right. And I think probably one of the first things that uh, landed on my landed on my lap when I I, I took the the role at RSSB or I was uh, um, asked to to take the CFO role uh, was a, was around the reform uh, to the pension scheme. And um, firstly, you've got to get your own head around you know a pension scheme and how that works, which isn't the easiest thing to do. But then to try and translate, and I, I think translate is the right word. Um, the, the complexities of a pension scheme and a reform to a pension scheme uh, to people you know, on the ground is, is really difficult. So yes, you understand the numbers, you understand the investments, but um, it boils down to two or three key messages and, and trying to put those across in a way that is understandable to people. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. You reform a pension scheme and automatically there, there may be winners, but there may be losers and it's, it's a topic that's going to be very close to a lot of people's hearts. You, Paul, you're messing with my retirement here. What do you think you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think that's the uh, that's the challenge here. Is is when you when you do talk about those kind of areas that you are empathetic and understanding that you're dealing with people's lives, um, and and often, you know, when you're in that position as a CFO, you're dealing with line items, cost items that, that don't impact necessarily directly um, on, on people's personal circumstances. Um, but when you're talking about a topic like pension, it, it can become quite quite emotive. Um, yeah. And so so that was that was a certainly um, an early test um, of, of when I took the position. Yeah. So let's wind back a minute though, Paul. You you qualified, you went off and worked in politics, and then you came back into an accounting role in RSSB. Now, was that first first step into RSSB as CFO? No, it wasn't. Absolutely not. No, I came, I came across as a, as a management accountant. Um, so, so this was back in 2014. I think there was about a year, year until the election um, in 2015. And, um, you know, I, I jumped, I jumped out of politics at that, at that time. Um, yeah. I uh, came into RSSB and uh, yeah, came in as a management accountant um, with um, quite a difficult brief, a uh, couple of departments where um, they needed a bit of shaking up. Um, and I think uh, yeah, the person who brought me into the business felt, well, I dealt with MPs and some difficult characters over there. I, I should be fine uh, moving into this kind of role. So, um, so you know, I, I've always said this around management accounting. It was a good it was a good step in um, because you're dealing with decision making for the rest of the business. You're providing information for senior yeah. leaders to take decisions. And um, I think it provides an opportunity for people not just to give the data um, and the information, but also you know, to show that you can provide insight and, and thinking as well. So it was a it was a good move. I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, but from there on started. Um, yeah, this uh, I suppose this escalation, which um, um, has, has taken me to the you know, position of the current day. So I know that you're there at the moment, about to leave RSSB seven years on. So you, you joined as a management accountant. You've you've worked your way to the CFO role. You've done it, and now you're leaving for new pastures. Now that that is very fast. So what what happened from day one to get you to that CFO position? I think I think you know when you when you join any business, I think it, it takes 
you know, you're about six, 12, 18 months to get your head around, you know, the new business and, and how it operates. But um, um, I think I was, I, I don't know this for a fact, uh, but I, I think I was put on a, um, a, a talent list quite early. Yep. Um, and then about uh, 18 months into me being at RSSB, I was, I was uh, brought aside and said, well, we want to make you a senior management accountant. So first bit of line management responsibility, um, but with a view to eight months time, you'll be the head of finance. And I think when you're given that kind of message, you, you kind of fall off the chair and you get all manner of imposter syndrome you know, running through yeah. you. Um, I think my reaction was, can I go away and consider that? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, right. I certainly know the way that I'd react on that. And that's kind of, hang on a minute. Yeah, it's a few years since I qualified, but look, I spent a chunk of these not doing anything to do with finance at all. Suddenly I've had one one proper finance job and you want to make me head of finance. What's going on here? <laughs> well, I think, that was, I think that was exactly what went through my head. I thought, are they absolutely mad here? Um, was, yeah. was, my, uh, was my internal thinking. Um, but, um, but I think you, you then have to reflect and say, well, look, there's, a, there's a number of people in, in life who don't get you know, opportunities provided to them. I'm give, being given two in one go here. Yeah. Um, hopefully there's a reason behind that and I, I need to try and grab it. But there was no doubt in my mind that that was, uh, that was quite a scary moment as well as, as well as being exciting. I think the thing that um, made it easier to compute in my head was um, RSSB made quite a smart move in bringing an interim in, an interim uh, head of finance in, um, with a view to developing uh, me into that role. And that made a huge difference um, yep. over the next seven, eight months, especially as you, you run into the first sort of set of people issues that you haven't had to deal with before. Um, and it just maintained resilience um, to enable me to then take the, the head of finance role uh, nine months later. Mm. So you mentioned that magic word imposter syndrome a few minutes ago. So did you, you you're up there, you've got to head of finance. Were you f- suffering at that point from imposter syndrome? Or had you, had you come to terms with it by the time you actually got the role? Yeah, so I think, uh, strangely, actually, it was the step up from management accountant to senior management accountant where I had the imposter syndrome because I hadn't, yeah. line, I hadn't line managed before. And the people who were your peers, you were suddenly in charge of. Um, and, you know, they had recognised you in a certain way and, uh, and, and was, in some cases, struggling to see you in, yeah. this, in this new role. And so that's when you start to, to challenge and question yourself. I think, actually, Kevin, by the time I got to the head of finance position, um, and I realized the enormity of the task in front of me. I, I didn't really have time to have imposter syndrome. Um, yeah, it's just get thrust, on with it. Yeah, it was get on with it. I was thrust in front of a board, had to give some pretty difficult messages. And um, I think sometimes the best way to deal with imposter syndrome is just to chuck yourself in and be exposed to everything. Mm. Um, it's, yeah. it's not I'm playing imposter syndrome. It's, it's definitely a real thing. But it's um, in terms of mitigating it, um, when I became head of finance, the um, I suppose the urgency around the need for action um, at that time uh, meant that I had to be exposed to everything and I had to either sink or swim. Yeah. So that that move into head of finance and you talk about lack of, of oh, I'm not saying lack of people skills, but managing people for the first time. Uh, that would be your first challenge doing something that you didn't pass any exams in that you weren't taught to do as qualifying so 
how, how did you take on board those those skills to start managing a team? Yes, it, 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 and I think the people side, I think, is the certainly for myself. It may be for others. It was the was the biggest driver of that imposter syndrome. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, the first thing I did was make sure I had a, a, a decent mentoring platform, so people who I could pick up the phone to, and and make sure I could talk problems through and get a second perspective because I think it's the first time where you start to feel lonely Mm. um in a a role you know previously you've 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 sort of been on the same level as as everyone else you're all mucking in and in many ways if there's a uh, a management decision from the top you don't like you almost sort of band together and and talk about it and and then you were in a position where no you have to hold a line and uh, you have to take some unpopular decisions and um, that means you can be in a lonely place if you haven't got someone to talk talk it through. So I made sure I had sort of three or four people, um, both in the business and outside the business, that I could I could actually just discuss my strategy with um, and make sure I was doing the right thing. Um, and often that was yeah some difficult decisions on pay and areas like that where previously I would have been saying yes well absolutely you should have that pay rise and now I'm in a different position with a different perspective and, and having to say no and um, I, I think that network was was absolutely crucial um, and reading around um, you know I, I did get a couple of books that you know um, that enabled me just to understand the different characters and how to uh, how mm. to play them. Yeah I must admit that one that I can still look up and see on my bookshelf now is managing or working with difficult people. And yeah, some of the people skills you've got to pick up on the way. I remember I I, I spent a year on, on, on um, secondment to London 2012 during the construction phase. And we had a very, very difficult person around who was on all of the project boards um who was essentially a political plant from the then lord mayor of london ken livingston yeah and uh, most of what she was being a man that's been in politics you probably understand this but uh, most of the things that that she would come up with in meetings were completely politically driven and had very little business sense behind them and mm-hmm. uh, it made certainly my job in pushing through some of the things we had to do very very difficult yes i I think i think you always are uh, i mean even even in this role you know let alone the management accountant senior management accountant or head of finance all roles i think you're always going to come up against those those challenges i suppose with the yeah the political side as i said the previous experience um meant that i could kind of spot where an agenda was being formed um and where something was going down potentially a path that that would um, not be very helpful for the rest of the team. So, um, yeah, I, I think yeah, you are exposed to certain political environments. Um, you know, certainly with the CFO role and before, um, where spotting the warning signals early is 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 really really important. That's one of the uh, you know the early learning lessons I think I, I learned on on the board. Yeah. So we got you to an eight month stint where you were working alongside the interim head of finance you took on the head of finance role yourself then moving to the board what happened next then Paul? well um so i think i think the most uh, um interesting board meeting is probably the first one you know for me yeah. um because uh i think 
you're going in, um, and I'll, I'll say this, uh, you know, as a as a young um, as a as a young head of finance at that point, um, but but sitting on the board, um, and you have to tell thirteen board members, you know, the financial position of the business, and um, I won't go into huge details, but it, it wasn't a it wasn't an easy message to try and give out. Um, yeah. you've, but you've got a CEO who has taken a bit of a punt on putting you in this position, um, mm-hmm. and is relying on you performing. Um, and you're suddenly up against 15 people in a board environment you've never been in, um, having to give out this this message. And uh, in in many ways, um, that that was the hardest thing, um, yes. and yeah, to try and deliver that. And all you could be was just as authentic, as honest as you you could be, um, and make sure you didn't answer anything that you didn't know the answer to at, at that point. But uh, that was that was a tough gig um, to, to yeah. go. Uh, straight at, into that, that kind of stuff. stage, did you know very many of the other board members? Uh, no. Um, in truth, I knew no, none of them at all, apart from uh, the CEO, who obviously was, a, was an exec director. Um, so, so all of those lessons, I, I suppose, I subsequently learned around you know, warming up warming up the board, making sure that, you know, certain board members understand your position before you go in the room. So that it's not a cold, it's not a cold delivery. Um, well, I didn't have an opportunity to do that to start with. Quite. Um, so, uh, so, so there was a, there was a lot of pressure um, on that, on that first, that first meeting. Um, but I think when you come through it unscathed, uh, those things around imposter syndrome, your confidence starts going up um, and uh, and then those subsequent board meetings become a little easier. Mm. So you're initially delivering things to the board as head of finance rather than CFO. So that's right. You, you yeah. must have felt at that stage a little bit of uh, maybe bottom amongst equals on that board. Yes, absolutely, uh, no doubt about that. I mean, th- yeah, there was no CFO position in the business, um, so I. Mm. I am RSSB's first CFO. The position was created, um, I think it was around 12 to 18, 18 months later. So in many ways, I, I had to earn my stripes as, as yeah. the head of finance, prove I had you know, the skills to be a CFO. Um, but I think that was useful uh, because it helped, uh, firstly, give me that experience, but also helped to shape you know, what that CF role, CFO role needed to look like going forward. Um, so, so yes, I, I think certainly those first meetings, you know, you've got people in there with 20, 30 years of board experience and, and, yeah, double figures of, of people. Um, so, um, it, it is, it is quite daunting. Um, and, uh, and, and there's nothing, um, that could have really prepared me for that. Um, it was just go in there and, and do your best. Yeah. A very, very difficult gig. And I've never really been in that position myself as the the board member but i've certainly presented to enough boards as a consultant and i must admit that i've always tried to get to know the players on the board and know where they're coming from be thinking when they're presenting this well how's fred gonna react how's dave gonna react can i put this in a certain way to kind of take them take each of those individuals on a journey now that must have taken you a little while to be able to do coming in as cold as that book well, it did. I mean, basically, I had no angle. <laughs> I mean, I had I had no angle on how different people were going to approach it. And um, there's always a risk that if you give a, a difficult message in your first board meeting and and you can't you can't read the room quickly, that it's going to go down like a 
cup of cold yeah. sick and um and certainly those i think the nervousness is those first couple of board meetings um whether you like it or not people or some people make a really early decision around your your credibility mm. um, and when you're uh, you know at that stage i was in my, my very very early 30s delivering this message um uh, I look back and think if that hadn't gone so well, I, I might have been looking at a very different um, different way forward. Um, thankfully, it did. Um, and then subsequent to that, Kevin, I think you then, as you say, get to know the board members. You understand um, their, you know, what what drives them, what motivates them, um, but also the angle they might be coming from, even if you fundamentally disagree with it. Yeah. So at, the, at this stage, Paul, what's your relationship like with the CEO? Uh, I would say it's very strong, and and you know I'm I always I always think with your career, Kevin, you 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 need to get a bit of luck. You need to be in the right the right place oh, at the right time yes. sometimes. Um, but but you also get a bit of luck in terms of you know um, who your leader is and uh, and how they look after you. And and I have to say, um, you know the CEO who's still the CEO um, is uh, is has, was absolutely excellent during that time. He recognised. Um, but yes, he had taken a bit of a gamble um, in appointing me and not, you know, taking an external appointment. Um, but he, but he also gave me a lot of confidence that I had the talent to do it. Um, he sometimes shielded me from a couple of those early political skirmishes, which uh, which was yeah, which was needed, um, yeah. and uh, and and spoke up when he needed to, but also didn't you know, sort of cover me so much that I, I didn't have a voice. So he was absolutely perfect through those early days. And it does show the importance of, you know, that, that, that mentor inside the business, because essentially he was doing that role as well as being my boss at that stage. Yeah. So the mentoring role from the CEO, great. Uh, Grow CFO, we often talk about one of the key skills of the, the CFO is to be the co-pilot of the business with the, the CEO. How did that sort of relationship develop for you, going from being kind of your mentor to you feeling more equal? Um, well, I think, I think in some ways we were, we were both joined by the same, um, by, by the same circumstances. So, uh, so Mark uh, had only just joined as the new CEO and I had just joined as the new head of finance. So, we both had um, something to prove in, in some ways to the board. We both had a, a reputation and the credibility to try and build. So I suppose that that kind of joined us uh, joined yeah. us together. We we're both uh, driving yeah, to the you know, to the same um, end of path. So 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 in that way, um, you know, that bond was was pretty tight uh, from the start. I think the the nature of the issues that we had to solve um, as well. I mean, I, I wouldn't be saying anything that. Probably people uh, hadn't heard that the business wasn't in the state it should have been at, at that stage. Um, meant that uh, yeah, we were we were both bound by the same uh, by the same aims over those those first six twelve yeah. months, and and had to give each other some resilience uh, through that time. And and I think that was essential, and it laid the foundations for really me working you know alongside the CEO very tightly you know for a number of years. And I'm. You know, if that relationship is strong, I think a business can achieve a lot. If it if it falls down, as we've seen with chancellors and prime ministers in the past, it, it can be it can be fairly corrosive. Yes. And um, yes. you know, in that regard, those early days I think set the set the tone around that. And I, I think one of the biggest lessons that I've been 
learning lately just spotted it's funny how certain things come to you from several different sources all at the same time it kind of says oh, kevin take note and it's the idea that as you're putting together a business team that's gonna that's gonna grow or gonna get a business through a problem that one of the key things you've got to have in that core team is a is a shared set of values and i can very much see that between you and your your ceo there you both coming in brand new to this both got to make a mark both know you've got to turn some things around and you you both aim have, have very similar aims for that period what about the rest of your board were you able to bring them along with this or get some of them along with the same values as 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 you two yes i i think so i think um i think firstly you have to make you know that persuasive case around yeah, where you're trying to take the business um, and put that to the board and, and see how they, they react. Um, but the, the work that you do outside the boardroom of trying to understand you know, what makes a particular board member tick, what's important to them, um, is, is vital because it, it allows you to understand whether you are on the same value base or not. Um, I would be lying to say in the first uh, year or two, there were not times where there were certain members of the board um, for which you know, me and the CEO had a fundamental disagreement around, um, you know, in terms of approach or, or strategy, um, and and with a big board, um, that that can be that can be quite difficult. Um, and so those early days, uh, some of those values weren't quite aligned. Um, but I think you know you you build that that trust and that value base with the board over a number of years, and there's been obviously changes to the board as as that's happened. Um, so for the most, for the vast majority of the time, you know, we've been rowing in the, the same direction as, as fellow board members. There are always occasions where there's there's decent challenge um, and a different a different viewpoint from board. I, in those early years, there was probably a little bit more um, disagreement, and that made it quite yeah. quite tough, you know, for particular topics. And there's the, there's a difference though between disagreement and decent challenge and what the board mm. should be doing is giving giving some decent challenge because that that's the way you refine and improve ideas and policies strategies whatever going forward yeah yeah it is absolutely i, I think um yeah that's that's a board doing its job properly yeah. um i think uh i think often the thing that can throw you certainly when you go new onto a board is um the different approaches yeah that that challenge yeah. takes so um, you know, some board members will, uh, you know, tell you before a meeting, um, look, I've read your paper. Um, I, I, I agreed with most of it. Um, but just to give you the heads up, you know, I, I am going to have a couple of challenges around, around this area. Um, and, uh, and they approach that in the right way in, in the board discussion. Um, mm -hmm. they allow you to put your point of view, um, there have been instances of other board members that that, that hasn't been the approach that was taken, yeah. and it's a, a little bit more direct um, and uh, and and puts you on the spot a little bit more. And uh, I think one of the skills is trying to be able to stay calm um, even when people approach that challenge in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Paul, I know you're at the end of your spell as CFO at RSSB and moving on and you've learned a lot so what would you say to the young paul who's just taken on that role as head of finance now in retrospect what what three great bits of advice would you give yourself looking back 
Goodness, that's a that's a big question. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the you know very very high level. I would I'd probably try and tell my younger self not to panic um, and yeah. not to not to question um, question yourself uh, so much uh, early doors. Um, but uh, you're going to make mistakes, um, and that's that's inevitable. Um, and and you'll learn from them. And that's easy to say in hindsight, isn't it? But when you're in the when you're yeah, in yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the mix it of it, it's it's a it's it's a lot tougher. Um, I think uh, I think I would you know probably a couple of lessons I've learned is to is to set out your your stance your strategy where you're trying to take something pretty early um, because I think a that builds the credibility with people who might have been you know peers or on the same level as you uh, makes you stand out mm-hmm. and um, and and I think conversely if they're not signed up to that journey um, I think you know you've got to take some. Um, some tough decisions and you've got to take them early um, because you have a very clear set of values and where you want to take something and you need everyone on board and probably in those early years because you're you're trying to keep everyone happy at that stage because you're new in the role you need as many allies as you can get you don't take some of those tough decisions that potentially you might take later on in your career when you've had um, some of that experience. Um, I think the uh, the, the other piece, and, and I think this one I did do, um, and but I would try and repeat that in, in, in future roles, is to make sure that you are a foil or a counterbalance to, to other people in your senior management team or the board. Um, so I suppose I've always regarded my USP as trying to think in the medium to long term, you know, trying to make sure um, but I'm a strategic voice in an industry which is very, very operational focused. Yes. It's very focused on on the short term, um, but uh, but to try and make sure that you know you offer something different. Um, so very much on the financial side, it has been around planning you know five or six years of finances ahead, not just looking at you know the budget for this year and seeing whether we're up and down at um, at any particular point in the year. And and I think having having a USP. Um, and knowing what your USP is you're going to develop, I think is really important for someone uh, young coming in. So it might be the USP is around technology. It might be the USP is around um, a topic area like sustainability, or it might just be a stylistic USP. But I think having that um, enables others to see you in a different light. Yeah, something that you're regarded really as the expert in, something you've got deep skills in. That's interesting. and in our future CFO program, when we're talking about developing your your own personal fast track development plan, it's that's that's a theme that I actually follow through, and I, I do actually challenge people in that module and say, "What do you want to be famous for?" Because look, yeah. you've got forty five different skill areas that we've identified, and the the gross gross CFO skill, uh, competency framework, you can't be you can't be fully competent at all forty five of them. Which ones don't matter? Which ones are you really, really going to be the, the expert in? I think that's I think that's right. And you know, Kevin, Dan will know this more than more than anyone. The the CFO roles changed. You know, I, I don't think it is that traditional stewardship role it used to be. Um, that is a given. Yeah, I think you you have to you have to know that stuff. Um, and every CFO will know that stuff. So if if you're trying to position yourself um, as a USP in that area. Um, I don't think you're going to get very far um, in your in your wider career. So you have to consider right, what type of CFO am I on top of that that sort of base level of stewardship? Yeah. I've got to abide anyway. 
Mm, definitely, definitely. And certain organizations will have a preference towards certain types of CFO. Yes. And if yeah. you can demonstrate that you are that type, you'll stand out from the crowd. Yeah. Yes, I think that's no, right. No yeah. point in being a jack of all trades and a master of none. <laughs> yes, quite exactly. Perfectly put. So you've got to the end of your tenure as CFO. Why are you moving on, Paul? So I think, um, uh, you know, I've been here seven and a bit years. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in my, I was going to say mid-30s. I, I think it's starting to move into late now. Um, but uh, uh, I think it's just time for a different challenge, different industry uh, for me. Um, and uh, I, I, I think you recognise sometimes when uh, your, your powers are ever so slightly waning because you've been in one role, you know, perhaps too long. And, and sometimes it's better, you know, to, to make that active decision to move on before, you know, people start, thinking that it's time for you to move on and I, and, and um, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it I've, I've grabbed an awful lot of experience now, which I'm in, you know incredibly grateful for um, but uh, but it is just time for a for a fresh industry and um, you know a fresh set of thinking you only you only live once and um, I, I think I want to be exposed to you know, to different things and different challenges um, I think the other aspect is um, this has been a tough gig you know we talked about yeah. the um, uh, you know the fast acceleration and and you know sometimes it takes a bit of time for your body to catch up and after seven years or, or so of this and and certainly though that, that pressure in the early the early years when I was a bit younger um, I think it's just time for a bit of a break so I am taking uh, three and a half months off um, completely um, to to recharge the batteries um, and and then start a new role in, in January, which um, which I'm trying to source at the, at the current time. Yeah, so I'm I'm incredibly jealous of three and a half months off. I could fancy that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've still got to try and work out um, how I was going to fill that. I mean, it was going to be a little bit of travel, um, but uh, but COVID may get in the way of that. Who knows? Yeah, um, but well, uh, things but are think... opening up quite well. Yes, yes, they are now, um, and, and, and long may that continue. I, I think, uh, I think some of the things that you you actually want to do during that time is 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 uh, is just read all those back copies of the Economist and things and books that you just never really got a chance to to do mm. because the the job was quite all consuming. Um, yeah. So so yeah, I, I think if you go into a new role, you know, it's 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 good to make sure you've got the same energy as you started your previous one, and I think they're that's that's got a lot to do with the fact um, uh, that I'm taking a break. And it gives you once you've got the role plenty of time to to research what you're going into, going in there with the, that plan for the first hundred days in your new CFO role. Yes, quite. And I think mean, I've, I've just bought a, a book around the first. Uh, I think it's the first ninety days. Um, I never quite know whether it's ninety or a hundred, but uh, um, yeah, of, of how you make that impact because it was a long time ago that I had that first ninety days and. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think doing that little bit of reading around, uh, you know, either the industry you're going into, or just about you know those those personality traits or the way to manage again and refresh yourself. This this break will give me an opportunity to do that. I actually think that those challenges for the first ninety hundred days in a brand new organisation are very different to the challenges you get when you're promoted in your own organisation. Yes, I think it is. One um, of the big challenges when you're promoted is. How do I get rid of my old job? 
Yes, I think I think I think that's right. Um, and 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 I think you know to add to that, you you're also on a you know a big learning piece around the industry that you're going into. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yes. You know, whilst if you if you have an internal promotion, you have a uh, not just a knowledge about the industry, you have a knowledge about the way the the business works. Um, yeah. When you go into that new that new role in a new industry. Um, you're trying to sort of build credibility, mm. um, build a strategy at the same time as as learning what the hell you're supposed to be talking about. So, um, so yeah, big challenge. And I always think that I'm taking this from background of consulting assignments as well. That as you go into that new assignment, that you've been told what the problem is you're going in to solve, but it's never the same problem that you actually find when you get there. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. And I'm, I'm very aware of that as I, I try and help um, RSSB find, find my successor at the moment, that uh, yeah. you, you don't want to, to, to lead your, your potential successor um, you know, to a conclusion you know, because of your past instincts. I think they have to come up with their, their own views um, and, uh, and, and find their own issues. Um, and probably because you've been so close to it, issues that you would never have found if you had stayed on for another year or two. They have to have their right. own the perspective. Power, the power of fresh pair of eyes is immense. Yeah, uh, I think that's right. And um, I think what I've told myself, Kevin, is I won't be too precious if, um, if I find out my successor has a completely different way of, of taking RSSB forward. You know, you, you have to say you did the right thing at the, at the time you, you had the role and, um, and you move on to, to something different where, you're, where the shoe's on the other foot. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Paul, that has been fascinating. Really, really enjoyed that conversation. Thank you very much for being this week's guest on the Grow CFO Show. No worries. Thank you very much, Kevin. Cheers. 